Well, good evening. I appreciate y'all being here. Uh, we're going to be recording this because there are a number of people who obviously were not able to be here because of childcare or work or you know short notice. So we wanted to record this Q and A time about Scott Clinton and kind of his philosophy and direction. So let me just open our time in prayer, and then uh, we will go uh, into the description and where we are in the process. Lord God, we thank you just for the opportunity to gather tonight uh, and to talk about worship, wayside, the pastor search we've had. Father, you tell us in your word that we are to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up workers because the fields are white for harvest. And Father, for a number of months, we've been praying and seeking you. We've looked at resumes, we've talked to people, and we find ourselves now here at the end of a process with a, a man that we believe could be uh, our next worship pastor. So we want this time, Father, to be used by you to um, be open and honest as we communicate, just to hear the hearts of people, to hear Scott's heart. And we just ask that you would lead and guide this time and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So those of you who are part of Wayside know that uh, we have had two worship directors over the last decade. We had Jose Irizarry, who was a volunteer, who then became a part-time leader and then took over the kind of totality of the ministry after Ryan left, who had been with us a little bit more than a decade as well. And we've had two styles of worship. We had a blended traditional and we had a contemporary service. And while there's richness in that, there's also been challenges in that. There's been people questioning, are we two different types of churches? Have we created two congregations? Part of what we're looking to do is how do we honor the heart of those whose heart worship is more traditional as well as on the converse side of that, those whose heart is more contemporary. So whatever we do here at Wayside, uh, it's not entertainment, it's not performance, it's for an audience of one. Uh, my philosophy, what drives um, everything about the service, which if you look at my job description, it says I'm in charge of the worship service. Now, I don't sing. I don't play an instrument. Um, you've heard me joke that I sound like a wounded coyote when I sing, so you don't want me up here trying to lead worship. Um, I know there are skilled men and women out there who have that gifting. God has given different parts of the body for different reasons, and so... We've been blessed not only with great uh, staff, but also with great volunteers over the years. And so as we come to this crossroads where both of our former directors have stepped away, it's brought us to a time of prayerful consideration. Is it, is it a time to draw into more of a singular type of worship? Now, as soon as we say that, those who are of the traditional side say, absolutely, we should do that. And I've heard very much from them that our style of worship should be the old traditional style. And on the flip side, I've heard the same from those on the contemporary side. So we're trying to thread a needle here. This isn't about, again, entertaining or meeting people's preferences because we can all get in a car, pl play our favorite CD or Spotify list and worship on the way home with our heart songs. So... That's kind of been the background, and that's also been the challenge in looking for the next person to lead our ministry. We 
We have looked at over 30 resumes. We've had uh, Zoom interviews. We've had in-person interviews with a handful of those candidates. We've had five different individuals that we went into multiple conversations with. Uh, but we are now at the point of uh, the final set of our process with Scott Clinton. He met with our elder board last night. So the elders are the spiritual leaders, the shepherds of our church. They ask theological questions, they ask background questions, they ask heart and integrity questions. Previous to that, Scott and his wife, Laura, met with our pastoral team for lunch on Tuesday. Same thing, we had an interview with them because we're looking at what is the chemistry. If Scott were to join our team, uh, he's gonna be working at that level with the rest of the pastoral staff. So there's been a, there are a number of steps. I'm in the process this week of checking references. I've, I've already had several phone calls today. I have uh, two more scheduled for tomorrow. Um, so we haven't finalized the call, but we're at that point where we believe that Scott could be our person. So having told you all that, you may be sitting here saying, then why am I even here? Because you're making the decision uh, without me. Well, Again, if you look at my job description, at the end of the day, the Constitution says that the senior pastor hires and fires all staff. Now, I never do that without consultation and agreement with the elders, which, again, I just told you the elders um, interviewed Scott last night, and they were unanimous in proceeding with Scott as a candidate. So <clears throat> let me read you the job description. I'm not going to read the two pages I want to read you the summary statement at the top of the job description. It says, to provide godly leadership in developing, implementing, administrating, and shepherding a ministry of media and worship, which will magnify our Lord and edify the body of believers through excellence in all creative arts in accordance with God's word, the statement of faith, constitution, vision and core values of Wayside Chapel. So that is the person we've been looking for. That is the man or woman that we have been seeking through these many, many months. Who is that person who can do these things? And there's a lot of stuff in there. When you break this down, you look at the qualifications, you look at the specific purposes, etc. And so as we look at Scott's resume, um, he has over 20 years of experience as a worship pastor. The last uh, 19 years were at City Church. Some of you remember when it was called Bandera Road Community Church, BRCC became City Church. So Scott has been the worship uh, director, pastor there at uh, City Church since 2003. Previous to that, he served as a uh, Minister of Worship and Youth at Palmer Park Baptist Church up in Frankfort, Illinois. And then he had some volunteer experience previous to that here in our city. He went to Abilene Christian University, received a BA in music back in 1997, uh, was ordained at Bandera Road Community Church um, as a pastor. And so that's kind of the high-level uh, view of who he is. And I just want to answer a question that I've heard from several people, because as we've looked to the future, as we've looked at the past, one of the things that you will find if you've ever been involved in hiring somebody, you know that 
Uh, people always want everything you had previously that they liked, and then they want everything that a previous person maybe lacked. And there is no person like that out there. And so, you know, we had two different great guys leading us in worship. Uh, you had Ryan, who was our contemporary guy, very creative, highly skilled in the way that he brought people into worship for those who connected with him. But Ryan's philosophy was more of bringing a team of developed leaders, people who could um, play without distraction type of philosophy. Jose was just as skilled, but in a different way. Jose had a different set of gifting. Uh, he could chart, write pieces of music. He could take a 10-year-old and write a chart for them to play right next to a first chair from the San Antonio Symphony. I mean, off the charts gifted. But his philosophy was to equip, grow, and develop people. And even if some of their level of skill maybe wasn't as high, he wanted to put them in a place where they could possibly exercise that gift and succeed. And at times what that meant is some said, well, was the level of excellence lower than it was? Now, again, Jose never put forward a, a bad experience, uh, but those were the two kind of poles. And so as we look at who Wayside is and where we are going, Wayside's philosophy is that we are an equipping ministry. You've seen that in the way that I develop and grow leaders from the pulpit, uh, develop our staff, our job description as pastors is found in Ephesians 4.11. It says, God gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And so when we hire a pastoral team member, pastoral team is the, the men and women on our staff who are directors or pastors, uh, they, they are to be those who are identifying, equipping, and growing up and releasing others for ministry. And so what we're looking for is an equipper. Uh, but it's also somebody who will bring excellence, not a performance, but one who leads with excellence. And when I say leads, what we want is a participatory worship leader. We want somebody not who's going to stand up here and sing a wonderful song, but somebody who is going to draw the congregation into worship. That, that is what I'm looking for as a worship leader. That is what I'm looking to hire. And so... That person needs to be skilled and able to uh, really model worship by worshiping. So that's part of what I look at. What is that heart of the individual? What is that person going to do? And so as we've talked to Scott, he's, he's articulated that's his heart. It's not just what he tells us. It's what I've seen in looking at his ministry at City Church for 19 years here in the city. I've been at Wayside 17 years, so I'm very familiar with BRCC and now City Church. Uh, I know that church. I know the pastors there. We've had, you know, interaction back and forth. And so I can look and say, what has Scott done? Not just telling me what he's going to do, but what has he done? And then in talking to references, volunteers, he's helped to grow and develop. I'm consistently hearing that same thing. Now, one of the questions that I've heard, and rightfully so from people, is, well, there have been times Scott has come in and led worship, but he's brought, you know, this entourage with him, so to speak. He's brought in people from outside. And so one of the fears 
that I've heard from numerous people is, is this gonna be more like what we had with Ryan? It, because Ryan brought in more outside people than necessarily growing up, and I'm not denigrating Ryan at all. I love Ryan, I hired him. We worked together for more than a decade, but that was one of those things that at times people said, hey, don't we have gifted people in our seats who could be up here? And so those, as we look to the future, we want an equipper, we want a developer, but we also want excellence. And it's not that you can't have both. And so on those times where Scott brought somebody in, you have to understand part of what this is is a job interview. He's trying to show us what he can do to prove he can fulfill this two-page job description uh, that we have up here. And so as he has come in, it's not fair for me to say to him, I want to see what you can deliver by forcing you to use people you haven't grown and developed on your own. Now again, his heart is to grow and develop a team here, but to give him the ability to come in and say, this is what we can do, this is what I will do, uh, he has to have the ability to say, here are some people that I've grown and developed over a decade or more of ministry. When we candidated Ryan, he brought an entire band in from outside of Wayside because at that time, uh, our contemporary worship was not at the level or direction we were trying to go. So again, to tell Ryan when he was a candidate here, use the people we have here and show me a contemporary service in your mind's eye, it wasn't fair to Ryan. And it's not fair to Scott to say the same thing. Now on the flip side, because my heart and philosophy and direction and vision is to have a person who's going to raise up and utilize the people here, I also want to see what can you do with our team here. And so that's why there's been a rotation. There's been different worship teams uh, that he's brought in outside people. He's used wayside people. He's, you know, sometimes had some of each. And so I just want people to understand that has been uh, on me. That has been my direction to him saying, uh, show me both. And so um, that's all I'm going to say at the moment. I will let Scott come up here, share his heart, answer questions, and I'm happy to come back up and answer questions as well. So let me turn it over to Scott Clinton. You can stand down there. You don't need to stand <coughs> yeah, up here. Yeah, if I can sit down here, that'd be great. <clears throat> I'm not sure what else to say. You, you kind of sum, no, summed it up. I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm not even sure I've heard my life put in all that way. So, um, so let me start a little bit with a little bit of just my background, and I'm going to go back a little ways, because I've <clears throat> met some of you guys a few times, had a few conversations back in green rooms, some of you not. But I want to give you a little bit about my background to, to help you understand how I got to where I am today. So <clears throat> Roger mentioned that I grew up here in San Antonio. I grew up in a church uh, at the time, about 700 people, so it was a decent-sized church back in the whatever days those were, a long time ago. Um, and I, but I grew up in a church that was very much about the people. I grew up in a church where participation in worship was everything. We were a acapella church, so we didn't have instruments, we didn't have bands, we didn't have all that kind of stuff. It was completely about everyone in the building participating and singing in worship. That's what I grew up in. 
And it's still very much a part of me. And that shaped very much of what I would then become as a worship leader. In those early days, starting as 11, 12 years old, I got up on church, got up in the church in front of everybody, waving the hand, doing the, you know, the whole song leader bit. Um, and in those days, all we ever sang was hymns. That's all I ever knew. There was nothing else. We didn't even sing what we called choruses back in those days. Um, but that's what I grew up in. That's, that was what shaped me from a very foundational standpoint. Then going to college, to ACU, uh, in the mid-90s is when this whole praise band thing popped up. And I didn't have a clue what that was because, again, I grew up in a very different type thing. Even in my youth group situations, I didn't have an idea what that was. I only played guitar because I wanted to play a country song at a talent show when I was in high school. And that was the only reason I had a guitar, you know. But then all of a sudden, I see this thing. I see these people singing songs of praise, of worship, of reflection, of confession, of all these things with this style of music that included a guitar and electric guitars and pianos and drums and all this. And I went, oh, wow. Shortly after that, I end up realizing that that would be my life. That marrying those two things, marrying that, that, that part of the whole church, being involved with worship, participating and singing out, married with this idea of these, call it rock band, if you will, that that would be the thing that I would end up giving probably the most majority of the rest of my life too. And so I began doing that. That led me through a number of places and a number of different experiences um, and eventually led me here. Now, I also he mentioned I was at City Church. I also felt, found a love for the relevant presentation of the gospel. Say it that way. I found a love and, an, and a deep desire to be able to bring people to God and to have them not only know about him, but experience him. And I realized and found that music plays a huge role in that. Um, and, and there's various conversations people could have about what kind of music and, and so on and so forth. I don't think that's really the point. I think the point is, is that music itself, what it does and what it stirs in our heart, plays a huge role and inspiring people, engaging people, and drawing people into God and to experience Him. So <clears throat> that's been who I am and where I am today. What I also found about myself was in a world when big church became, has become very popular, has become a world of rock star pastors, if you can say, um, there's been this push and draw to Becoming a professional church person, becoming a professional musician a lot of times now. It used to be, you know, if you, you, were, you said, hey, I want to be on stage, I want to play, I want to be a part of worship. Now we've got teenagers who are graduating high school saying, I'm not going to go to school, I'm going to go work at a church and play guitar. It blows my mind, but that's the world we live in today. In that world, I've kind of been an oddball. Because as many of the people around me and people that I knew in ministry were pushing towards hired uh, teams of worship, I was up here going, no, we've got, we, it's the equip the saints. I've been a believer. Someone instilled in me, uh, a pastor, a previous pastor that I worked with has instilled in me that what, our call, what our, my job is as a pastor, as a minister, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that has always been my heart and desire to develop people. Also, 
Early on in my ministry, I wasn't as good. I wasn't a, a great developer early on. I had the desire to be because, for me, as I started on this journey of being, of being who I am as a worship leader, I had no one to help me. I had no one to say, hey, think about this, or hey, do this, or what about this? I just didn't have that. And so for the first few years of my ministry, I really struggled because I just didn't have that to help guide me and teach me. And so I always desired to be able to do that for someone else. So two parts of me as far as equipping the saints. One, I believe um, a part of being, being a part of the church body, playing a part in the kingdom of God, you find your purpose, you find your thing. It could be based on your skills, on your gifts, on your passions, all those things. It is our, it's the way we serve, the way we participate in the, in the body, in the kingdom, is to serve in a church body. So that's part of my job is to equip the saints, to equip you guys, to equip this church, people that are in the church, to be a part of what we do here. That's been the other one. The other part for me in equipping is that I'm always looking for someone <clears throat> who has that possible call to ministry, if you will. And I'm always kind of looking for that. And who is that person that I might grab a hold of and help them and guide them and coach them into whatever God may have them. So they, those are two parts for me that I'm always going to be focused on. But here's a weird tension that I choose to live in. Because there is a wide belief. You hear me talk about how churches moved to hired musicians. There is a belief that volunteers um, are not professionals, one. And two, because they're not, they're just not as good. The excellence has to drop because they're not paid professionals. I don't believe that. I think it's a bogus statement. And I more than think, I know it because I've lived it. Where I was, <clears throat> we had a huge team. I say a huge team. Our, our working uh, music team was at 50 people at times. Our production teams were up to 100 people. All volunteers with only four people on staff. And we created, executed, and led excellent moments of worship and experience of God through People who gave their time. Many of them started. Maybe skill. I mean, there, there has to be a standard of skill. There has to be a standard skill set set to be able to be on platform. I mean, that's that's just kind of a normal thing. But may have started at a lower skill, but we built them up to where they became knowledgeable of something else. Um, I don't believe that just okay. I don't believe excellence and professionalism comes from a paycheck. If anything, it goes the other way around. I don't think you should get a paycheck until you've reached a certain point. But I don't believe those two things necessarily go hand in hand. I think excellence and professionalism can come from someone who chooses to give their time on top of their 40-hour-plus-week job, right? I wholeheartedly believe that, and that's what I believe is, needs to happen. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to give my life to. Um, so there's that. Um, but let me talk about the excellence thing for a second. Excellence has become a buzzword in the church, so much so that it's almost become a dirty word uh, in some sense because it's become such a drive that we choose to, we, that I say we, global church, has chosen to put people aside in the name of excellence, which I, you've heard me say is not the right thing to do. But I also want to say when I say I choose to live in attention is because I still believe we must be excellent. We must be skilled. I believe what we do on Sunday mornings matters tremendously. 
Um, we talk about distraction-free. I think a distraction-free environment is what's needed because we never know what's going on in someone's life when they come sit in this building. They may come sit in for the first time in six months because some season of life is happening and they're in pain, they're struggling, and the Holy Spirit's doing something in their lives in that moment. And if all of a sudden we do something, one wrong little thing, and it pulls their attention from whatever's happening, well, we don't, we don't want that. We can't have that. So we have to give ourselves to be as skilled as possible. We have to give ourselves to be excellent. We have to commit to the preparation, to the planning, to the practice, to all of that to be sure that we are as good as we can possibly be. I believe what we do, this is kind of our, our sacrifice of praise, right? It's our offering. If you can compare us to the Old Testament uh, priests, some were in charge of music and some were in charge of this stuff. This is what we bring as musicians. This is what we bring. This is our offering. And do we want to be those that bring a... So-so offering? Or are we those that bring our best lambs to the altar? So I believe in that as much. That's why I say it's a tension. Because it's, we have to do our best. We have to be at our best. And there's two parts to that. There's a part of individuals giving our best. And then for me, being responsible for the church, having to give the church's best. So it's kind of this weird thing. But we have to be committed to that at the same time. We have to be equipping and developing and building up those that come in. I'm trying to think what else. I'm sure there's something else, but that's. Oh, I'll tell you the other thing. Other major part of philosophy of what I do. Um, Church, a big part of, of church gatherings, of local church gatherings, which, by the way, I am a fan big time of the local church. There is a uh, quote out there that the local church is the hope of the world, and I, 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 that's the banner I want to put on my wall because I, I believe that to my core. And today I think sometimes the church might be struggling a bit. But here's what I think about this. It's a community of faith. We come together as a community. But what, what I've often seen, especially in music ministries, is the only level of community we have in teams is we kind of say, hi, how you doing? And we have a short conversation in a green room on Sunday morning, but then that's it. And that's the extent of our community. I believe for us to be the best team we can be, we, got, we have to be more than that. So building a community of people. So we talk about some of the folks, some of my friends that have come, have I been here? What's interesting about that is that that is a representation of, of a family that has been built over a few years that even though we're not serving on the same stages together anymore, we're still so close in community and friendship that we're still hanging out and we still go do things and we still go visit churches together, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of interesting because um, those folks reflect this tight community that we've built. And that's something that I believe in. I believe it's crucial to what we do um, for music to production to all of it. We have to build it. So one of the things I'm very committed to is doing things to build that deeper community, not just showing up on Sunday to play your instrument and go home. What I say often is, often the community is a byproduct of being on stage or serving behind a piece of gear. For me, we have to flip that. You're part of the community first. You're part of the family first. And serving on stage or doing something is a byproduct of being a part of that community. And there's a lot of work that goes into that, but that's a major part of who I am. So that's enough.
Okay, what we're going to do is, if you have a question, I want you to talk it in the mic because, again, we're recording this and we want people to be able to hear it. So, um, if you've got a question, raise your hand and we'll just pass it around. No questions. Got a list. <laughs> Let's do it this way. How about one, give others one, 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 then we'll come back. So. Yep. Rather and we than can go have coffee if you want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I want we, all the questions answered, but I want everybody to have opportunities as well. Okay. Yeah, we likely need to do that. Scott, all you've said is very encouraging. Thank you for taking the time to go through all that. Um, the, as Pastor Roger alluded to, and as you've seen at, on the Sunday, Sunday that we were together, um, the church has a lot of, of saints who have walked before us. They're way ahead of us. Um, and uh, what, how do you, I've, I've also, if you felt, if you felt creeped out over the last few weeks, it's because I've studied you on, a lot on YouTube uh, uh, at City Church. Um, so um, how, what do you, how do you see engaging those believers as well as um, the the younger set, the ones that are that would engage in what we might typically see as a contemporary service. There, that's that's a big, 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 big question uh, because there's a lot to it, probably more than what we have time to discuss tonight. Because there's a lot of strategy that goes to that, and that may sound impersonal, and I don't mean it that way, but it. Um, the transition that we're talking about doing here, going from two very different service expressions to one expression in two different times, it's a major expression, um, I mean, a major transition, not even th talking about age, because I'm not even sure that <clears throat> it has to do with age as much as it has to do with personal preference. Because I know watching in the 915 service, there are many people younger than me coming to the 915 service, and I believe they're coming because they want a certain expression. So it's not even so much about age. But if the drive and the vision of the church is to move forward in a, a call it a contemporary term, then we have to begin making moves in direction that way and trying to bring people along together. Um, and that comes from, I believe, more than anything else, and I know I'm, I'm kind of staying up high in the, in the question right now. It comes from vision. Because um, I'm, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember that. I forget the name of the church, but there was a church in Chicago, downtown Chicago. It was an old, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name. They were in Chicago. They were in uh, Wrigleyville. And um, it was a church primarily of senior saints, I mean, not primarily, it was only senior saints. And this was quite a few years ago. But some younger folks came in, younger pastors and teams came in. And those senior saints were willing to give up their desire for their love and what they wanted because they wanted to reach the community of Wrigleyville, which was not their age and not their style. And so they gave up completely everything they had in order to reach that community. I'm not suggesting we do something so drastic but it's an example of here's a vision here's a people that we want to reach and what do we need to do to reach those people what do we need to do to reach the next generations and so on and so forth so I think a lot of that has to do with vision that has to be explained um, to get technical 
Um, we talk about, we use the, the word him. And that's a conversation in of itself. Um, what dictates a hymn? What constitutes a hymn? Is it the year that it was written? Is it the format that it was written? Is it was who it was written by? Was it, was it only because it was in a certain book and not in another book? And all so on and so forth, right? Um, what I've, I think I've even seen in the weeks being here is that the 11 o'clock crowd is much more willing to do hymns than the 915 is not, if I said that right. Did I say that right? So... One of the things I've seen, of course, and you, if you're watching me on YouTube, you know I haven't sung hymns in a long time. I mean, I haven't sung a hymn, but maybe once every five to ten years until I came, until I started leading at Wayside. Okay, um, so, but but doing a little bit of research, thinking and kind of imagining myself, if I were to come here and be a part of Wayside, what, how would I, how would I wrestle with this? How would I do this? And so I just started doing some research, looking at some churches that have a similar to heritage. To wayside, and one of the things I found is this is one idea. Again, I have to I have to come back and say, ultimately there has to be a, a strategic plan put together how to do it. So I'm just throwing some some stuff in the air as as to what ifs. One of the things that I've seen is that some of these churches that are moving to a contemporary style, um, who have uh, long time attenders, senior saints, what they do is they just make it a point to have an expression of a hymn in some form or fashion every week. Sometimes it's very traditional. Sometimes it's more feature-like. Sometimes it's more of a contemporary rockin' style, whatever it might be. But they make it a point to be sure that we put a hymn in the service. And here's the catch with that. It still comes back to the vision thing for some of those folks who don't want to, who are having a hard time letting, uh, or kind of going into something new, is that that might mean that a hymn might be sung in a way that they didn't sing it before. There might be some slight changes to it. And so there still has to be, it still has to be married with vision as to this is why we're doing it. It's not, we're not doing it just because we're not hearing you or we're not listening to you or we don't want to or I don't like it. There's a reason as to why we're doing it. So, again, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. But let me, let me just say something about that because, again, this idea of vision and direction, that comes back to me. And so I want, I want this to be clearly understood for those listening to this recording. We're not saying we're doing away with hymns. We're not going to start counting how many hymns were done, etc. When we renovated this sanctuary and we took the pews out, there's an organ over there. And I had lots of people tell me, well, I know you're going to take away the organ. Well, the organ's still here. The organ doesn't get used right now because one of the ladies who used to play the organ is no longer here, and the other lady who is our organist has not been uh, feeling that well and able to play. If we have a gifted organist who wants to step forward and say, hey, I want to be used, uh, we're going to look at that. But right now, we don't have an organist, so that's why the organ's not being used. Um, I don't look at what book it comes out of. I look at the theology of the songs. There are contemporary songs we will never sing because the theology is garbage. Just going to say it like it is. There are old hymns that don't need to be sung because there are some old hymns that don't have good theology, right? So we look at the theology of the song, uh, and then we look at the expression. And this idea that maybe it's the senior saints who are set in their way and unwilling to change, as God has already articulated, many of them are the most willing 
when I have conversations with some of our senior saints, and I'm going to define them in the 65, 70, 80, 90, we even have had 100-year-old saints here. They often are saying, I want my children and my grandchildren to come, and I will give up my preferences in order to have a church. You know who the most difficult people are in this church? The 40 to 50-year-olds. Uh, and I'll say that with 17 years here and 30 years as a pastor, and I'm, I'm 57, so I can be in that group. I can be difficult. Um, but they are the ones that are the most set and, and want it most their way. So we're not going to get into worship wars. It's for an audience of one. And so this vision and direction, anybody listening to this, please don't say, well, see, I heard they're doing away with traditional because that's not what we're doing. Um, but what we are doing is saying, how do we glorify an audience of one in what we do? Okay. Um, hello. Um, so obviously being um, the leader in the music ministry, um, you're going to help us grow in our skills, and I've already had experience with that. Um, but I really enjoy a leader who, um, like kind of you said, is not just worried, uh, focused on skills, but also our spirituality. So do you have any ideas on how you can help lead us and help us grow in our um, spiritual walks as well? Yeah, that's part of the community side of things. <clears throat> Understanding that Many of you are probably already involved in Bible studies and small groups and so on and so forth. But what I try to do as a team is, so as a, to grow as a community, we have to grow in relationship and friendship. But we also have to grow in the spiritual side of it together, too. That's, that's the unique part of what we're doing. Otherwise, we can just go have dinner at home together and not have to worry about it, right? So some of the things that I've done in that regard is sometimes we'll take a book and as a team we'll do a book study. Um, sometimes we'll have prayer meetings. One of the other part about it is that we'll always find who are those prayer warriors in the team, and we assign them to other folks to be able to keep in touch with what's going on in life and that kind of thing. Um, we'll have prayer. We'll have times of prayer, like I said, in prayer meetings. Um, one of the things I just kind of want to, <clears throat> when it comes to rehearsal, um, what I've learned over the years working with folks, volunteers who have jobs aside from this, is that often when you come on a Thursday night, Wednesday night, whatever it is, Long day at work, you're tired, we're worn out. What, I've, what has been expressed to me over the years so many times is, can we just get to work? Because I need to go home and get back to bed because i got to go to work the next day. So what I don't do is I don't typically do those spiritual growth type things in conjunction with rehearsal. So I won't go into a long prayer time. If there's a specific need for that day or that night, then we'll, we'll deal with it there. But generally speaking, I don't use rehearsal for that. I try to have other situations, other moments, other times to where we grow together spiritually. So you talked a lot about um, integrating volunteers into the worship service, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. What, what things do you demand as a leader, right, in a very technical, functional part of the church, uh, of those volunteers who come in and are going to be on stage, are going to be doing uh, very important functions in the church? What's sort of the baseline of, if you're going to serve in the music ministry, here's what's expected of you? Um, <clears throat> first, foremost, uh, I strongly encourage preparation. Um, back in the days when we 
would print out all of our papers and CDs and all that kind of stuff, you know. Only, well, most of us know what that is, but anyway. Um, those days don't happen anymore. But we used to have this saying that if you came to rehearsal with the paper clip on, we knew something. We knew that there wasn't a lot of preparation done. And the thing is, is because everyone's time is valuable, we're talking about working full-time, we're coming in working, the time we spend in preparation to make Sunday the very best that it can be, we all have to be on the same page together, and we, don't, we have limited time. So it becomes very important that there is prior time spent preparing and practicing, making sure you're at your best when you come to rehearsal. Uh, rehearsal is not a point to learn music or to learn the song. Rehearsal is the time for all of us to put it together. So for that reason, I try my best to provide, and today it's, 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 more, it's easier than it ever has been, to provide as many resources as possible Excuse me, to help in that preparation. We try to set up a time where, based on the process of creating the service and putting the service together, what I like to do is try to post music two weeks ahead of time or at least two weeks before rehearsal time, so that you have, uh, at very minimum, a weekend, because I'm assuming most folks, you're going to have more time to practice on a weekend than weeknights, so that you at least have a weekend prior to rehearsal, if not two, to be able to spend time on it, because that is kind of the expectation that I have, is that you're going to spend time on it that time prior before you come into rehearsal. The other thing is, is rehearsal is a hugely important thing, um, today uh, we, we do four songs it's not that hard we're, most likely it's songs we've done before maybe one new one in there um, we have more resources prepared to get better prepared all those things are true and so sometimes today I've seen people go well, why, are we, why are we practicing why are we coming in to rehearse um, I've got something else I can't make it tonight or I'll, I'll be ready to go on Sunday kind of thing um, two parts to that. Um, I don't know that you can ever have too much rehearsal. I just, I don't know that you can. We're limited, right? So we have limited time. But I'm not sure that you can be too prepared. Um, I don't believe so. And what I've experienced is if you can at least have even a short rehearsal, an easy rehearsal the night or the nights before, Sunday is just so much more fun. On the Sundays that you don't have, there's just this little bit of tension, this little bit of stress. You know, we're going to experience that this Sunday because we weren't all here tonight. We're going to experience a little bit of stress on Sunday morning because we didn't have everything tonight. Um, So it's important for rehearsal. It's also valuing your teammates. I think coming fully prepared and being at rehearsal values the other people that have been there as well. And so if for some reason, you know, you get the point. So... Uh, that's that's the, 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 the most important part of it. The other thing I would say, kind of going back to some of the community side, is participation. We don't grow together as in relationship and community and in family unless we participate together. And that's usually, it has to be more than just showing up on rehearsal on Sundays. Uh, sort of following up on the same theme, what are things that you've done or that have been successful in identifying uh, new team members and bringing them on board as first-time musicians? 
I'll say this. It's an old saying, excellence begets excellence. So the better this becomes here, the more people want to be a part of it. That's just always the case, every time, hands down. Um, and and I, I think we'll see that. Because um, of a church of this size, of this many people, I, there are more people sitting in these chairs that have an artist gift, a music gift, and production and technical gift than what we're seeing right now. I guarantee it. So um, the better it gets, the more they'll come out. The other thing what I have found <laughs> so often um, is that many people are willing you just have to ask. And if you don't ask, they don't just come forward. So it's, it's the, it's a, we have to go out. We have to recruit. I have to, we have to ask and, and try to get some folks in. So. Um, is there any thought about bringing back in some more traditional musical elements um, we, you know, we have a lot of great contemporary elements now, but we also have a lot of musicians and people who want to share their faith in our congregation who prepare, uh, play string and wind instruments, and they've had an opportunity to, in the past to share that. You know, even just on a special occasion, like a Christmas mm-hmm. special or something, would be really cool. So I just want to know if there's any thought going into that. Sure. I think it's an, it's an amazing thing that a church has... Um, a, a team of people already ready to go to play some of those instruments. I think it's a fantastic thing. I don't think it's necessarily traditional or not. I think it's, it's been deemed maybe as a traditional thing. And maybe in the way it's used, it might be that way. But I don't believe strings, horns, choirs, and all those things are specifically and solely traditional. So I think it's a matter of finding how do they fit, how do we best utilize it, how do we resource it well, because that becomes a much bigger resource issue. One of the things that's unique today that I found out the hard way many years ago is that for me to go in and arrange a piece of music for an orchestra, I have to go apply for and get... um, I have to get a mechanical license from a publisher before I can do that. I can't just go write. For instance, I can't even make a lead sheet. I can't transcribe the melody and put chords over it without getting a mechanical license, technically copyright license, to do that. So that's now. As I'm saying that, churches across America are still doing it, and they're can I say getting away with it? It's just you got to ride that line of whether that's the right thing to do. So logistically, it makes it a challenge. But I think it can be built in. It's, it, you build the system to support it, and we use it when we can. But I think it's a great opportunity, especially for special occasions like Christmas and those kind of things, to be able to do some really cool stuff. But you can hear, like, for instance, for me, we, we use tracks these days, right? There's, there's a lot of good things that come with, have come with these tracks and stuff these days. However, I'm also seeing us, um, and not just here, but I mean just Globally, I'm seeing the church really beginning to lean on them in an unhealthy way. Um, so what I think is pretty cool is that many of these tracks that we use, well, they have strings in them. And I'm like, well, if we have actual people to play strings, well, then we don't have to use those. So that, to me, it's a bonus. So. So, um, Pastor Roger mentioned it, you mentioned it, um, that the temptation to move from worship into a performance is always there. Um, how, what, 
what strategies do you use to encourage the team um, away from that? So if I can kind of cut through some water real quick with performance. Um, what we do at church, what a church does, there's a stage, there's a platform, um, there's production, there's artists performing. So we perform. And so it is to some degree, even Pastor Roger, as he gets up and gives, and Jason, they give a talk, they're performing. So I just want to be clear that we are going to perform. We have to. That's what we're doing. The issue of whether it becomes a concert or whether it becomes a performance is not, I don't believe, as much about the elements that are used. It's about the heart of the person doing it. And I'm pretty sure you can tell, you know, you've seen some people where you kind of go, hmm, they like themselves a lot, you know. But then you've seen someone who performs in a great manner, and yet I'm not drawn to them, I'm drawn to God through it. I mean, okay, anybody know C.C. Winans? That lady, oh my gosh. She sings, and one of the greatest voices I've ever heard in was such passion and fire in what she sings, but I'm never going oh my gosh, she draws me straight to God in what she's doing. So the way you work against that is we have a, a status of no divas on the team. We all exist on a team together to serve this congregation. That is what we do. We are servants first. Um, anytime there is a swaying of that, and I see someone focusing attention on themselves more than what's best for the team, we kind of have a conversation about it. Because to me, that's what it deems a performance. Is it about me, or is it about what I'm doing here? Am I, is it about me being a part of this team and this congregation and the experience of God that we're going to have as a, a congregation, or is it about what I need while I'm on stage? Um, I just wanted to ask about your background in music education or teaching, maybe even outside of Sunday mornings, because uh, like we discussed, we do have younger musicians and amateurs of all ages who want to grow their skills. Sure. Uh, I do not have an education degree. I began that path and realized that was not a good path for me. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was really my goal. I had some really good choir teachers, and my goal when I went to school was that I was going to be was going to get my music ed degree. Actually, it was my backup plan because I was going to go to Nashville and be a country star, but that changed anyway. Um, yes, I do love country music, by the way. Um, but I, I dropped the education thing because I realized um, that was not my heart. And even though I had some great music educators, I also had one who he had all the credentials in the world, but his heart was not in teaching. And the day I realized that was not the case, I went, okay, I need to do something else. So I didn't do education. However, <clears throat> one of the things about music for me that was always been a thing since I started playing piano as a five-year-old, and so I'm thankful that my parents forced me in that. I hated it at the time, but I'm thankful that they did because it gave me a foundation of music that I would build on for the rest of my life. And I began composing stuff, even in high school. I, it was just kind of a thing and interest in me that I enjoyed doing. So that led to really enjoying some of the orchestration and some of those classes that I, that I got with a music degree. And so through that, I began um, 
uh, arranging music for choirs, for bands, and even orchestras and stuff like that. There's at City Church, we did a Christmas thing one year, and we decided let's have a have a small orchestra, and I arranged the whole thing for it. So it is part of what I enjoy doing. Today, I, if you can say, I, my chops are not built up, so it takes me way too long to do it now because I just don't don't do it enough to keep it quick. Um, so here's an interesting thing in, in when I say development versus teaching. My heart is to see something in someone that they don't see themselves and help them pull that out. But I'm not really called to say, let me teach you how to do this. Um, <clears throat> over the years, I've thought about and I've tried a few times to be, for instance, to, be a, to do voice lessons and do vocal teaching. And that was one of the reasons why I decided not to be a choir teacher. You know? um, but what I do love is coaching someone with vocal technique and kind of going, hey, let's, let's try this and do this. Which, by the way, vocal technique is where I'm more versed in than the other instruments, but it's part of what I do as well. So if that, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of where I am in that. So. Okay. Um, so excluding Sundays, what are some other opportunities or events you could see worship team members where they can use their gifts to connect with other ministries as well? Wherever they're willing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, when we did the women's thing the other night, I think that was... It was a lot of fun. It was an awesome thing to be a part of. And so anytime we can do that, here's what I love about extra opportunities like that, um, is that those opportunities, because this up here on Sunday morning is kind of the pinnacle, if you will, on the experience and skill set and all those kind of things. Sunday morning's kind of got to be the thing. When you have all these other things that still need worship, it gives you a whole lot of opportunity to bring new people in or lower skilled or whatever and help. They get, they're... they're this can sound, kind of sound bad to some, but it's a developmental ground. And that's not meant to be a bad thing. It's actually a really, really good thing. So to me, wherever there's opportunity and there's people willing, uh, we, we, it's good, good stuff. Um, I've played with you once and have, have thoroughly enjoyed our conversations. And uh, my, my son actually came and said something to you once. But um, So I, I didn't fully form this question before coming, so hopefully I won't ramble too long. But... Um, <laughs> You mentioned, and I appreciate, um, kind of finding those people that, that have something in them and helping them pull that out, or finding those people who may um, want to follow in, in what you've done professionally, um, or calls to the ministry, those kinds of things. Um, I think uh, the uh, much younger group in our church um, have different bands as well. There's a middle school band, a high school band, those kinds of things. Um, and I don't even know if this is... Um, uh, part of the job description. I'm just asking your philosophy. Um, but what is your thought on using those either as feeder programs um, for for the, the big stage? Or, um, or or are those places, have you had experiences in, in dealing with those levels of, of players before and seeing folks that, that are wanting to be drawn out or wanting to be able to mentor in that? Does that Yeah, it's absolutely a part of it. Because part of what we do is legacy. So if... For, if, if we want this, whatever we create up here, if we want it to continue for generation after generation after generation, well, we can't wait till they're an older generation before we get them up there. So the, the earlier, the better. Um, one of the things we, that I did before is that we made a point to uh, select the high school students that could participate um, 
on the stage with us. If I'm, I'm going to embarrass him because he's here, so I'm so sorry. But Wesley over here, the guy's playing bass for us tonight, he's an example of that. Um, he start, what, what's how old were you when you started playing with us? 16? 15? Yeah. And so he came on, um, <clears throat> started playing. He was pretty good at the time because he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good musician just in, in general. But he dove in and grew fast. And so now he's one of the best bassists on the team over there. So um, that's, that's an example. I think whenever you can and willing. I think logistically here at Wayside, from what I've understood, that might be difficult because I do like seeing multiple generations on this stage, if, if at all possible. And there are a few high schoolers that are generally skilled enough to be able to serve on here as well. And so when that happens, I think it's great for the church to see multiple generations serving together. Um, but yeah, to me, I hope it's part of the job description. So. The uh, job description, one of the bullet points says, develop and mentor emerging worship leaders, including working with our college and student ministries, worship teams. So it is a requirement of the job. And as y'all know, we also do the uh, student ministry Sunday where our junior high leads one service and our high school the other, and we will continue that. So that that is, again, part of our, our heartbeat and passion. I love it. Sorry. So I had a question just about um, trying to raise up leaders in terms of not necessarily like for Sundays and stuff like that, but more along the lines of you were talking about raising up leaders and things that maybe you're not like your strengths and so on. And honestly, uh, you know, it's not like a super important thing to me. Don't think that I'm asking because of this. I'm actually... Jason, Roger, I have much more ministered to by preaching than music, which is kind of weird. But I really do. I love the preaching at this church, and I appreciate it. And that is really where ministering to me in a service comes from, mm. for the most part. That draws me into the presence of God like that. Yeah. But just uh, farming that out to, like, say, I found someone who they would like to do, like, choir stuff and everything like that. Is that something that you've kind of thought about or is something that yeah. you, you would be... Because I know years and years ago, that is how, like, some choirs and stuff like that had gotten started, is people were like, I, I have a passion for mm-hmm. leading, like, a choir and so on and so forth. Secret about choirs. Um, probably not a surprise, but most of the people that come forward to say, hey, I want to be a part of the stage are singers. Most of the people that, that request to be a part of ministry are singers. And here's the problem with that. Most of them don't have the skill set to be the upfront singer holding the mic. So it's kind of this weird thing where we used to do these massive uh, recruitments. You know, people sign up, and we would get hundreds of people. We'd get 150 people sign up, and I'm telling you, 125 of them were vocalists. And we stopped doing it because what we had to do was say no to 120 of them. And so that was, the, that was a really hard thing to do because you see people, I mean, it's, it's the American Idol thing, right? I mean, it's just, it's just difficult. But here's the thing about a choir. Many people can sing and participate in a choir and do it well. They may not have the voice or the technique or the confidence or all those things to be up front and holding a mic, but they very much can play a part in a choir. And I think a choir plays a big role in congregational singing. I think it encourages people to sing along. So there, that's one way. Um, 
that may not have answered your question, but <clears throat> I think for me, though, yes. <clears throat> I am not a leader that says I have to do everything. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for some. I'm looking for people and what their gifts are, what their passions are, and to see if there's find a way to empower them in what we're doing. So. Okay, so we're going to go. Um, I'm going to say 20 more minutes. That will be 8:30, just to let everybody get home. So. If you've been waiting on somebody to ask a question for you, it's your turn to ask it, and then uh, we'll we'll wrap up, as I said, in 20 minutes. So, um, and this comes from seeing a lot of what you've done. Thank you for putting a lot of that out there. Um, what my choice? What is, um, we're coming up on Christmas. Christmas is just one time where the congregation is especially sensitive to music, and it's also <laughs> an opportunity um, to engage the congregation in the arts, music, mm -hmm. not just sure. the praise team, but the whatever, choir, right. ensemble, whatever. What, um, what, how, if you were to say today off the cuff, um, what might Christmas look like um, for you to put put that into words and I'll tell you why I'm asking okay um, <laughs> um, historically we it's been a relatively muted uh, over the last I'd say 10 years uh, Chris we've had we've introduced Christmas music and things and then we we have a climax in a Chris, Christmas Eve service um, but it, um, it, it's been rather muted. And then I saw some, some times at city church where it was big deal. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it, it had a definite character to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just seeking what, if you were I, to put out there what you would, you would like <clears throat> to see us do, what would that be? That's, it's always, always reflective of the church itself. So we got for me, I'd have to figure that out and learn about that. But I'll say this about Christmas. I think to some degree, yes, I think there is a culmination, right? That's part of what Advent is. It's a, it's a culmination to Christmas Eve. So one of the things, you know, uh, in, in church business, we, we use the term that Easter is, is the uh, Super Bowl of church, you know, kind of thing. But what I think I've realized, at least more recently, is that actually more people come to Christmas than they do Easter. So if you want to take a chance and focus on those folks that don't come to church very often and maybe grab them a little bit in some way, Christmas is the time to do it. So what you saw was a lot of us going all out on Christmas, on Christmas Eve, um, and trying to make something unique and special in that moment. Um, but it is a culmination. So maybe you're asking, are we going to start singing Christmas songs the Sunday after Thanksgiving? Because um, that's always a great conversation to get into because uh, there are there are no opinions about it whatsoever um, <laughs> um, that might fall in line with what never mind um, I'm okay personally if I can just be honest I love Christmas music but I don't want to drown in it day one you know you know what I mean um 
so I think there's a, there's a progression to it. So, um, but one of the things I think is really neat about you guys, what y'all do, because you do the Advent, I think it gives you a way to tie in the arts with that. Um, and I, I don't know if that's been, I don't know if we've always done that or not, but to me, that's, a very, that's an easy, that's a, that's a lob it over the plate for a creative expression each week that grows into something else. So, um, I think there's opportunity, though, also to do extra special events and things like that, too. So. so let me answer that briefly, because one, Scott hasn't even been hired. Two, Christmas is right around the corner. So again, in fairness to him, to say put on a massive production in a month isn't going to happen. Christmas cantata here. I would, I would always give Jose three months' notice on a choir anthem so he had time to work up the choir and everybody and on and on. So. Also, whether you've looked at your calendar or not, Christmas is actually on Christmas Day this year. And what will happen is this hasn't been fully published yet, but we're only going to have one service on Christmas Day. Many churches have just said we don't even do church anymore on Christmas because we want families to stay home. So we're going to have an 11 o'clock service. That way families can stay home, open presents, do their traditions. Plus, many will be here Saturday night and say, well, I already went to church. I'm not coming Sunday. So uh, the other thing Wayside has tried to do is try to be all things to all men at times, and we have the family service where the kids pretty much do a nativity type of service. So that takes some of the creative element and puts it in that lane, and that's very popular with parents, aunts, uncles, grandkids, neighbors who come to watch the kids. So some of it is asking him what Christmas will look like this year I don't think is going to be a good question. Because he's going to jump in with both feet if he's the guy with little time to plan it. So we will do our traditional Saturday, Christmas Eve, two different type of services. We will have one on Sunday, and we'll go from there for next year. He'll have time to think over that. We'll do a TSO thing next year. That's fun. I did a big band. I did a big band Christmas thing a couple years back. It was a lot of fun. Became Harry Connick Jr. for a week for a day. So, <laughs> so I had a question about um, just the spiritual vetting, like the process you would have for vetting someone who wants to volunteer from a spiritual standpoint. And I mean, again, like uh, it's not. There's no like, hey, the, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's a range in there. I had a conversation with someone one time and just about what's that Sunday morning drive like to church? And it's just confession and weeping and like, oh God, if you're going to use me. So what is your process? To you're about, to, Someone wants to volunteer and how do you go? So like, how do they become part of the thing yeah, or how, how do they we, prepare themselves? Well, no, no, no. How do they become part of it? Like, what do you, how do you vet them it, spiritually? Um, right, right. So obviously it, it, there's parts of a process that, that, get determined by the church itself. So I wouldn't know. There's some things i got to learn about Wayside before we would do that. But generally for me, it's, there is an audition. If it's, a, if it's a performance-based thing, there's an audition that comes with that. Um, but then for me, it's an interview. And it is a time. And what I mean by that is it's not a, a job interview. It's very much a conversation. And it's, <clears throat> there's a few questions that I generally will ask. Uh, that are sometimes hard and they kind of think about themselves or think about it before they answer it. But, uh, and there's also someone else with me in that meeting. Um, and it's a very uh, spiritually sensitive meeting, if you will. 
because through some of those questions um, from the answers, we kind of get you can kind of get a sense of what's going on, um, who they are. But again, here's a deal also. But if they get to that stage of an interview type thing, um, there is an assumption that they are going to be on the team. So you heard me talk about the community first and then stage. So for me, it's very quickly, it's there, the assumption is they're on the team. They're going to be on the team. The only way they're not is if in that process something pops up that just says, oh, this isn't a right fit, if that makes any sense. So it's not a matter of we're exclusive and we're only finding that right way that you can be a part of our exclusive club. It's not that at all. It's very much of you're a part of it. We're just checking to make sure that there's not something to watch for. Generally what happens most everybody comes on, but you learn some things, good things about someone that I then can just remember, hey, I need to check in on this every once in a while. I need to see how this is going. I find out if there's a part of their walk that I need to get involved with, or I need to find out that I need to direct them to someone else to help them with that part of their walk. So you learn a lot of things in those little conversations. So, but we get a little personal. <laughs> So in your own walk with Christ, how do you balance your pursuit of meekness and humility in your personal life and your personal walk with God with the demands of your job, which are very real, and you're on a stage, you've got a microphone, uh, your uh, creativity and art- artistry is on display. You know, how do you balance those two things? I mean, do you? Uh, well, I, I mean, that's... That's the walk of life. Uh, and for any artist, for any performer, you're always, we always have to deal with that pride part of us. Um, some of us deal with, hey, look at me. But a lot of us um, deal with the flip side of pride, that I'm not quite good enough. Um, and so it's always a challenge to balance that. But here's what I would say. Um, a friend of mine and a co-worker in ministry, he would always talk about the upside-down pyramid of leadership. That we generally see a, a, a pyramid of leadership where the leader's at the top and everyone builds on top. And he always taught this idea of we're going to flip that pyramid. And he says it's the way Jesus led from the bottom. So the, the, the trendy term is servant leadership, Right? Um, but it's how it, it it's <clears throat> becomes easier to to stay in humility, clothed in humility, real humility. If you're always trying to find a way to put somebody to lift somebody else, not necessarily. I mean, yes, put them first. But if you're always trying to find mine that way to lift them up wherever they are, it helps keep me in check. Um, and then you have good people in your life that help keep you in check (laughs) people that can be honest with you so yeah I have, sorry to have another I have another question just uh, speak it's right on the tail of what you just said um, so your wife is she uh, musically inclined is she part of your like normal ministry stuff and okay and so how no. does your wife how does your <laughs> wife feel about about the situation of you coming on 
and because that's a big, mm-hmm. big part of that's a huge part of it. Uh, she's for it. She's happy for uh, for me to find um, a a good path ahead for me. She's happy for that. So um, she's been a very she she is musically inclined. I'll say that she uh, reads and all that kind of thing, but. She is not a an out front uh, performer type person. She leaves that up to me. So, um, but she has been. Um, this sounds, I guess, cliche, but uh, a, an incredible supporter of me throughout the years and all and doing the ministry thing. Um, she's she'll tell you she's not a pastor's wife because she just doesn't embody sometimes what people think of that might be. Um, but she is very much. She's she's been a very good support for me. So. So along that line, uh, that was one of the questions asked in the staff interview. Laura was there with us. And even before that, as we got into the initial conversation, I told Scott, this isn't about you having a job. It's about you being a part of a church and a community. And it's as important that your family feels a fit here as we feel that you're a fit for us. And so uh, their family feels Wayside can be and will be home if they're called here. So... We're, we're not interested in somebody who's here to do a job. We want somebody to join the community and be part of the family here. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, one, one thing I want to also say, is there another question out there? Danielle's had lots of time to talk to Scott over the, I'm not freezing out Danielle or John. They've spent hours and hours with him. Um, You know, I made very clear that we want an individual who's going to reach into the community here and involve our people. But I also, you know, part of the vision statement of Wayside Chapel is we are a community rooted in the word, reaching out to the world, reproducing Christ followers. And you hear me say we create a community to reach the community. So part of what I want to also make clear is my heart and expectation is that as he creates communities, he creates a program of excellence, there will be new people joining. There will be people who maybe have not been a part of Wayside to this point who may join the worship team. Instead of thinking of a circle where we're closed off and saying you must have been here six months, a year, 18 months before you can be part of the team, I want you to think of a horseshoe that has an opening there are going to be people who will walk through this door. There may be people who are at City Church under his ministry, his mentorship, his leadership that say they're not following him, but they're saying we love his heart, we love what he's doing. Wayside is a biblically teaching church that we can also make our, our home. And so if some of those previous artists or musicians choose to join uh, us over here, it's not that we're going to freeze them out because we want them to come in. Uh, We want, you know, when I came to Wayside, one of the the disheartening things I heard early on was, you know, San Antonio is a huge military community. And I actually had leaders tell me, well, we don't really get too involved with the military because they're here and then they're gone in two years or less. And I thought, what a backwards concept. I said, these are individuals who are used to coming into a community, joining, sinking deep roots because they know they're only here for a short time. And our philosophy was a missions-minded church, sending missionaries around the world. And I said, these are high-capacity people coming in. We get the 
benefit of who they are, and we also get to build into them and then send them out. I said, we need to dive deep with these individuals who come in and go out. It's a medical community, a school, a university, on and on. People come and go. So I would hope to see new people up here on the platform uh, if this is our new pastor. Uh, but again, we're not going to exclude those who have been faithful servants all these years. So think in terms of a horseshoe, not a circle, as we go forward. Um, would you close this in prayer? Absolutely. Excuse <clears throat> me. Father, we thank you so much first, just, uh, I say it over and over, but just who you are. I thank you for what you've done for mankind. I thank you for your endless love uh, and how we get to experience it day after day after day. Um, I, I thank you that um, even as rough as we can be as children, you still love us deeply. And so I'm so thankful for that for you. And I'm thankful for how you move and some of the ways that we just don't understand and we can't see, but I'm thankful that you continue to do. Uh, and in this moment here, I'm thankful for what's happening here, that uh, you've connected me with uh, a new group of people here. And I pray for blessing for them as they move forward, for me as well. Um, and uh, we thank you for what you're going to continue to do in both parties. And so uh, thank you for this night. I thank you for the honesty. Um, and uh, I just pray you bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to hang around after if you have questions or comments for me, or if you want to email me, my email is roger, P, R-O-G-E-R-P, for Poopart, roger, P, at waysidechapel.org. I'd be happy to hear your feedback. And so again, Scott, thank you for being here. Thank you to the team. Yes, sir. Yeah. I've gotten to serve with some of y'all, and from somebody coming from City Church, um, I, w I wanted you to know that the first thing I ever ask Scott when I'm coming to help him is, you know, I don't want to be taking somebody's spot. We at City Church, the musicians, we, when we come and serve at your church and other churches, we want to help uh, fulfill what Scott is trying to do, and... Um, that's part of the community he talks about. Sorry, I'm not good at talking in front of people. Um, part of the community that he builds um, starts with what we do on the stage. And what we create on the stage is just, it's an incredible thing. And, you know, if y'all take him on here, you're, you're up for a really, really um, powerful, um, powerful experience. Um, so I just wanted to say... Um, I love coming here and serving with y'all, and thank y'all for letting me do that. Um, and I, it is certainly not my goal to take anybody's spot, um, but um, I love Scott, and uh, I've served with him for 20 years, and um, you can trust him. You can trust his instincts musically, spiritually, um, but that's it. I won't go on and on, but thank y'all for letting me come. I've, this is my second or third time, so. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to help him get the job. I'm just straight up, straight up. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.